This podcast made us what we were and are. It's the real museum of all our opinions. Not one of those opinions has really been lost. Why won't you tell me why we're recording? But I have told you. You have not. How long have we been recording, Leo? Oh, gosh. What, 20 hours? 30? <laughs> Longer. Longer? Yeah, it does feel like 40. <laughs> Good call. A full work week in one recording. Yeah, that's how long these recording sessions are. We throw out <laughs> not 39 hours of audio for every episode. Yeah, yeah, a lot on the cutting room floor, but that's art, you know? That's art. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Boo. My name is Leo. And Leo. Yeah. Believe it or not, we are nearing the end of God Emperor of Dune. What the hell? Didn't we start recording this coverage of God Emperor of Dune in like... The 1970s. <laughs> it feels it so long. Certainly feels like it. But I was looking at the page count the other day, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, we're like over 60 percent, 70 percent of the way through this book. We only have like the last third, maybe, to go. That's good because at the rate that it's escalating, if it weren't almost <laughs> over, it would just be like Gurren Logan style hyperbole right. by like the last few oh, chapters. Yeah, so true. So true. <laughs> We would just all be waiting for the climax, but all it is is rise, 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 rise. <laughs> and then Leto screamed, and Moneo <laughs> screamed back, and Duncan screamed, but homophobically. And then Siona <laughs> screamed, like a rebel does. <laughs> all righty, well, before we get into today's screaming, yeah. let's take care of some housekeeping. As usual, today's episode will contain no spoilers beyond the books and pages that we have covered thus far on this podcast. So as long as you are caught up with today's reading, you're good to go. Indeed you are. And as always, a huge shout out to our Quisats Hatterack level patron, Case mm. Aiken. Case. Case. When I angrily demand, where is he? What I'm asking about is you. I'm asking about where's yep. Case Aiken because I want to give you a big old hug, buddy. Right. Generosity off the charts so much it makes me angry sometimes the people on the subway certainly get angry <laughs> when i grabbed them by the collar and said where the fuck is he yeah and they're like who's who and you're like don't play coin they're like no i don't who are you what is happening <laughs> typical morning in new york city yeah right. no but our thank you to case extends to all of our patrons thank you everybody for supporting us the way that you do that's right now, with the housekeeping out of the way, yes. y'all know the game plan for these book club episodes. We will begin with a summary of today's reading. Then we will dive into just one takeaway today because there is a lot to talk about. Yeah. Yep. And then finally, we will wrap up with a couple of yummy, delicious, nutritious spice morsels. Yeah. Artificial sweetened, but like sucralose, not aspartame. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, we don't even put that on the label. I don't know the, how the FDA approved that. <laughs> With that having been said, let's take a quick break. But don't go anywhere, dear listener, because when we come back, we're getting into today's reading. Stick with us. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, we hope you're ready to walk in the desert because our first chapter today kicks off with Siona and Leto 2. Hey. Oh my God, it's SAT test day. Hope oh. she did her test prep. Hope she memorized yeah, yeah. all those words she'll never use again. <laughs> Siona is following Leto through the desert. They are walking away from Little Citadel into the Sarir, into the kind of desert proper. Yep. And she's uncharacteristically complacent. She's kind of like quietly following along, not screaming about how he's the worm and a tyrant and, I don't know, killed her friends or whatever. And Leto comments to himself, quote, Doubt had done its work. She had read the stolen journals. She had listened to the admonitions of her father. Now she mm. did not know what to think. End quote. Ooh. Yeah. The chinks in her armor that we talked about. Yeah. A couple episodes ago. They're working. You know, the cracks in her armor have been widened. Yeah. And now she's not so certain about the black and white nature of her universe right. that she was just a few chapters ago earlier in the book. Yeah, exactly. And again, that's what Leto, he's saying, I want her curious. I want her... Uh, like compassionate, some sympathy. Yeah. I want those things because those things complicate the black and white that she's currently operating within. Yeah. And he makes it clear to her why they're in the desert. He's kind of explaining what is the test. And ultimately, the reason they're in the desert is to connect her, to remind her of her ancient memories, her Fremen identity, her Atreides lineage, some of which she's like, I don't have that. You're dumb. And then he's like, look at the sand. And she's like, wow, <laughs> I feel it resonating deep within me. I mean, never mind. I don't feel anything. <laughs> this is stupid. You know, exactly. Just fighting exactly. every inch of the way she's trying to reject what's happening. Mm -hmm. And as we'll see throughout the chapter, it happens, right? Like she's feeling this intimate connection with the desert and is very often awed by its beauty and the dangers of it. Yeah. The, kind of the real, the realness of the desert. Certainly. This chapter is filled with a lot of nostalgia yeah. for Leto. You know, he's thinking back and he's like, oh, this is just a false desert. It's not the true thing that I remember, yeah, yeah. right? I'm using all of these satellites to create this facade of a desert. But even then, it still has its beauty. And even then, it reminds me of what Arrakis used to be like, because that desert is part of me. It's in my bones and will be forever. And some of that nostalgia is actually seeping through to Siona as well, because it's part of her heritage as well, despite how much she might reject it. And I, I really found that interesting throughout this whole chapter. We get a lot of Leto nostalgia because we're in his head. And then we see that it's actually genuinely affecting Siona as well in a very similar way. Yeah. It's also interesting because we know Leto is one of the last, he, I mean, he is the last living Fremen. 
basically. Yeah. All of the museum Fremen are just shadows of what they once were. And Leto is very much still a Fremen. He was born and raised in a siege, grew up as a Fremen. And Siona has that within her more so than even the museum Fremen because she's Atreides and she has this like lineage presence in her, in her body, in her bones. Right. Now she ends up sitting on his back, which is hilarious. He's like, climb on. And she's like, ew, <laughs> what? Why? And he's like, do it coward <laughs> fucking i double dog dare you she's like oh i can't go back on a double dog dare so she climbs yeah. on and although initially she's feeling really silly she's like why am i doing this but he can tell that she starts to enjoy the process i mean come on you're riding on the back of the god emperor of dune like come on insane enjoy it <laughs> tickets are expensive <laughs> for that that fair ride taylor swift tickets <laughs> Taylor Swift tickets way down God here. God Emperor of Dune ride tickets. God Emperor of Dune tickets way higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, although the, the Ticketmaster is a mess for those. <laughs> the liability waiver is insane. <laughs> May die. Whoa. <laughs> oh. I might as well take that submarine trip. Um. Anyway, it's clear that the ride is meant to trigger old memories in Siona's subconscious. Quote, she rode silently on his back, but he knew her eyes were full. And the old, old memories were beginning to churn, end quote. Mm. Just the fact like her eyes were full was such a poignant thing because I, it, yeah. it kind of, I, I went out to the, I went upstate this weekend and I was just in the woods and just like looking and seeing. And it's crazy how you can like very presently be seeing with all of your attention and all of your consciousness in that one act of witnessing. And that is what this meant to me, right? It's like. She's there just perceiving openly and not caught up in injustice in the past and hopes for the future. It's just present and aware of the now, right? Yep, totally. And luckily, she did that because it was four hours of fucking riding oh on his God. back. <laughs> oh, my God. Just a long, slithery ride. And they arrive in the deepest part of the desert. And Leto points out, yo, our tracks, can you see them? She's like, uh, no. And he's like, yeah, isn't that crazy? Isn't that going to come up in a couple of minutes? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, okay. And yeah. he, he finally says, okay, now that we're here, four hours later, here's the test. You and I are going to walk out of the desert. She's like, you don't walk. He's like, semantics. We're going to leave the desert together on foot, traditional way, the way your ancestors would have in the distant past. Or, hey, fun alternative possibility. Right. Girl, you're going to die. <laughs> like, uh, those are the two options. You're going to walk out of here. Did you remember to sign the waiver? Siona? You signed the waiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the, <laughs> it was like 70 pages, so you didn't read it, but that's your bad. <laughs> your bad, Siona. And Siona at this point is like, well, damn, then we're fucked. We don't have water. We don't have food to eat. God, we're both going to die out here. We are in such a shitty situation. And Leto's like, yep. whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll, kid. I'm good. <laughs> I don't know if you knew this. I'm the fucking god emperor. I'm in peak physical condition. I'm peak male physical physique form. <laughs> Have you seen my gains? They are thousands right. of pounds of raw physical power. Yeah, he's like, I'm a desert creature. You're, you're fucked. I'm fine. I don't need to eat. I don't need to drink water. You're the one who's in this shitty situation. And so 
she eventually kind of asks for help. She's like, well, then I don't know what to do. I don't have the expertise. And he's saying, you think I should help you? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's like, well, I will help you survive. But you have to give something to me in exchange, something that I find valuable. And there is kind of a funny moment when she's like, you're threatening me to go along with you. And he's like, I'm not threatening you. You're you're in the desert and I'm offering to help. And she's like, but you fucking brought me to the desert. And he's like, right. ah, well, semantics. You're in Atreides. It sucks to be Atreides. Right, uh, right. Enjoy. Enjoy your lineage. And uh, together they head into the shadow of a dune to wait out the sun because he tells her, you know what? Uh, preserves water to travel at night. And that's right. where the chapter ends. And that's where we leave off in the test. Very interesting. Yeah. All right. Chapter 38. Our second chapter today begins as we join Duncan Idaho angrily stalking through the halls of the city. Wait. Have, have we done this before? Isn't this like chapter 34? <laughs> this is like a minute ago. Wait. I feel like we just copy pasted that line from a previous script. He is, sleeps with Weenery again. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> Every chapter from here on out is just Duncan sleeping <laughs> with me. <laughs> well, no, he he doesn't sleep with anyone in this chapter, unfortunately. He does try to fuck with someone, and it's Moneo. Yeah. He is stalking through the halls trying to find Moneo because he wants to have a face-to-face with Leto to chew him out for some nonsense, okay? Some nonsense he's been seeing among the fish speaker. Okay. Yeah. Girls kissing girls. What? That's fine. Calm down, Duncan. What the fuck? <laughs> totally fucking fine. Also, and I think I, I, I wrote this bullet point. I think I misunderstood a little bit. I think Duncan is seeking out Leto to like continue this conversation about how fucked up he thinks this whole Wienerie situation is. I think he it's like he wants to talk to Leto for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But yeah, then yeah, he's yeah. walking down the hallway and he's like, you know. Like, oh, I'm going to find Leto and talk to him about all these different. The fuck is that? Wait a what? second. Are What's those going on behind two that curtain? girls kissing in their private room? And I'm not the weird one for fucking looking into their private room, Duncan. Give them some fucking privacy, dude. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's rough. <laughs> there, there's a lot of emotions going on here for our poor Gola Duncan. And certainly seeing two fish speakers having a private moment. Is really pushing him over the edge here. Yeah. He does finally come across Moneo and a confrontation takes place. And it this is overall a pretty rough chapter for Duncan. Totally. Yeah. And if you thought we were done with some of the weird, outdated ideas in this book from Frank and these characters, you're wrong. <laughs> so we hope you're gonna buckle up for today's episode. Yep. Yep. We are going to revisit a lot of this chapter later in the takeaways just because we want to dive deeper into some of these ideas and give them the time they deserve so for now let's quickly summarize the broader beats of this chapter and of this conversation yeah between duncan and Monao. so duncan basically vents on the major domo and he's out here just like screaming in Monao's face he's sick of this fucking place the <laughs> citadel this empire leto and all of that homosexuality he among said, the fish speakers derogatorily yeah yeah he's just like had it up to here with all of this he's overwhelmed and he goes as far as to say some problematic shit like 
the this homosexual behavior among the fish speakers should be stamped out, Moneo. Nice. Yeah. And wow. Moneo, for his part, <laughs> remains infuriatingly chill Super in the face <laughs> of Duncan's anger, right? Despite the fact that Moneo also has a lot going on emotionally. His daughter is out in the desert yeah. with the God Emperor as we speak, and there is a very high chance that she may not come back. And throughout the conversation, he's calm and collected, but he also is not holding back. Yo. He is straight up <laughs> condescending toward this Duncan. He's spicy. It's he's spicy. Delightful. <laughs> For example, there's this moment from the conversation. Quote, still speaking mildly, Moneo said, have a care. There are limits even to what I will take, especially just now. End quote. Yeah. And coming from Moneo, that's threatening, you know? Like, from the very, like, docile, calm, collected Moneo, for him to put up this wall and be like, don't fuck with me right now. Yeah, it's it's funny because, like, initially when i first read this i was like this is not threatening like what is it what are you gonna do bookworm like what are you gonna do yeah. nerd uh oh we're about to see but then yeah we're about to see <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting also is that during the back and forth moneo has some internal thoughts yeah that are actually even more sort of aggressive than what he is saying outwardly yeah we, we get yeah. a sense of internally how much turmoil there is for Moneo and how annoying this whole Duncan nonsense is to him right now. And it's legitimately shocking because, again, we know Moneo as like the very calm, collected, self-assured major domo. The one who brings Duncan his favorite fruit and offers exactly. to change his accommodations if he's not happy. Exactly. You know, yeah. The guy who's always on top of it, you know. Yeah. We're finally seeing him maybe bend under the pressure a bit. There's this line that stood out to us here. <laughs> Quote, Moneo put a hand over his eyes and sighed. He lowered the hand, wondering why he put up with this foolish, dangerous, antique human. End quote. Yeah. Uh-huh. Savage. <laughs> Perhaps we're seeing a bit more of the rebel Moneo. Mm -hmm. The bold, the brash Moneo, which again, more of that will come out in just a minute here yeah. as Duncan continues to push Moneo's buttons. Yeah. So back to this conversation, Duncan continues to get more and more heated. And a couple of times, even Moneo loses his cool and shouts at Duncan. Right. Again, he's clearly emotional and worried about Siona. And now this Duncan is spitting bullshit in his face yeah. and it's becoming too much. Yeah. And Moneo makes it clear everything Duncan is so worked up about is fucking microscopic yeah yeah in comparison to leto's golden path okay your problems are so fucking small duncan yeah i am dealing with so much more and moneo uh, straight up to duncan's face is like buddy gola guy <laughs> it's time for you to grow the fuck up yeah <laughs> Which, of course, only serves to trigger Duncan even more, right? right. You know, he's like, what are you saying to me? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, he gets even more defensive, right? Starts losing all consonants and vowels. Just, be <laughs> just starts garbling. <laughs> he said, juvenilely. <laughs> and finally, as the conversation 
hits a tipping point, Moneo says to Duncan that he doesn't have the fucking guts to be loyal to Leto. You don't have the fucking stones to follow through with this. You don't have what it takes. Exactly. And that is too much. That is too much for Duncan. He literally whips out his knife and lunges at an Atreides. Duncan motherfucking Idaho attacks an Atreides. Yeah. That's how far we've gotten. And uh, and, and what happens? Uh, it did the universe's best swordsman kill an Atreides? Our guy Duncan yeah. gets absolutely fucking decked <laughs> in this standoff. Yeah. Moneo outspeeds Duncan, trips him, and throws him on his face. And then, if that wasn't enough, yeah. <laughs> Moneo drops the coldest fucking line in this book. <laughs> yeah. Quote, if you're going to kill me, Duncan. Wait, I got to do the Moneo voice. If you're going to kill me, Duncan, you'd best do it in the back by stealth. You might succeed that way. End quote. You might but... succeed that way. It's so good. God, it's so good. I Any doubt of whether or not Moneo can get it? Like if Moneo Mone yeah. is so hot in this chapter. Oh my just God. Just so like, yeah. I mean, it's like, listen, kid, if you're going to try to take me out, at, like try the most underhanded, unfair way you can might give uh, you a chance to not oh fucking God. fail. Incredible. And Duncan's on his, on the ground like what what <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. So to wrap up the chapter, Duncan and perhaps you dear reader yeah. <laughs> is blown away at how Moneo just fucking pulled this off? What? Where did the major domo yeah. whip this out isn't of? Isn't he a nerd? Isn't he a bookworm? Isn't he? Isn't he some fucking administrative guy? Yeah, he's a bureaucrat. How did he just deck the greatest sword master in the universe? Yeah. Moneo explains, <laughs> quote, He has been breeding us for a long time, Duncan, strengthening many things in us. He has bred us for speed, for intelligence, for self-restraint, for sensitivity. Your... You are just an older model. End quote. Oh my Fucking god! Get wrecked, Duncan Idaho. Holy shit! Oh, cathartic. I gotta say wow. that felt so good. I love Duncan. I love Duncan of as a character for a lot of things. I hate elements of Duncan in this book. Yeah, he's he's just so petulant and he's homophobic and he's he's just so like hateful and yes, and it's like to then have this major domo who's also said some problematic shit but be like you are dumb you have no self-restraint you are insensitive and you are slow you're an older model it's like right oh my, oh my god, god. Oh, it's brutal oh my god it's so good it's savage it's a really stunning way to end the chapter and of course we have skipped over a lot of detail in this yeah, chapter yeah, yeah, yeah. that's on purpose folks hang tight because in the takeaways later, we will get into some of that aforementioned homophobia from Duncan and what Monea's responses were. We'll dive much deeper into that. But that's chapter 38, and that's our reading for today. Indeed. Now, we're going to get into what is effectively this chapter part two in yeah. just a minute. We're going to take a quick break, quick breather. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everyone. Let's get into 
today's takeaway. And there's just a single takeaway because we want to give this topic all of the time it deserves to really dive deep into it. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about sex, violence, homosexuality, and all of these themes and ideas that Duncan and Moneo throw around before Moneo throws Duncan around. <laughs> well said. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've kind of danced around it in the summary, but throughout their conversation, a lot that has been sort of under the surface simmering or has been like hinted at or, or occasionally mentioned explicitly is just being said outright. And in a lot of ways, Duncan has kind of dropped the pretense and he's just being outright homophobic. He's like, this is disgusting. He calls it perverted. It should be stamped out. It's rotten. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, because again, there is a lot of like homophobic, outright homophobic stuff in this chapter. I will say it does seem as though Frank is very explicitly saying, hey, all of this stuff that Duncan is voicing, this opinion, this belief, the outrage, the upset, this is unreasonable. And this is bad. Yes. This is the wrong take. This is the antiquated, shitty, awful take. I, I agree. Duncan is very much positioned in the wrong here yes. in this conversation totally. and in the context and even in the subtext of this chapter. Yeah. Which, you know, again, as someone who really struggles with like the anti-homosexuality stuff in this book, like it really rubs me the wrong way in, in every way. Mm -hmm. it, it was a little bit cathartic to see a character decide to stand fully on that button that we've kind of talked about and then to be humiliated and called old and called, you know, like that felt very good. But <laughs> the problem is some of what Moneo is saying as like, Duncan, you have to fucking grow up. Some of what he's saying still reeks of the homosexuality is a phase you grow out of mentality that yeah. that has done so much harm to people in the lgbtq plus community throughout the years mm -hmm. like okay mm -hmm. you'll you know you'll grow out of it or this is just you experimenting in youth which is like such a disgusting brand of acceptance i accept right. that you're playing around now but eventually you'll get serious and realize that this is just a phase and it's like no you're, you're rejecting who i am certainly, certainly and this quote in particular is is uh it was part of that quote it's perfectly normal for adolescent females as well as males to have feelings of physical attraction toward members of their own sex. Most of them will grow out of it. End quote. Yeah. And again, had Tough. me in the first half. I was like, yeah, totally natural, perfectly normal. Hell yeah. Well, finally, this book's taking a turn for the good. Woo! <laughs> and then he's like, most of them will grow out of it. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's admonishing the whole empire because, again, there are a lot of people who have feelings when they're young and then start to be taught by society it's not right to be gay, you know, especially if you're in a more conservative area. You know, it's like, no, 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 it's not okay to explore those feelings. You have to have a girlfriend and you have to have a wife and you have to have kids. And like, maybe that's what he's talking about. You grow out of it because you kind of fall under the thumb of society and the expectations of being a breeding blah, blah, blah. But it just yeah. feels gross and it feels bad because he's the voice of reason in this chapter. And so for the yeah. voice of reason to still fall into the patterns of of delegitimizing homosexuality as like a very natural thing, it's not a good feeling. Uh, it, it toes the line of like, 
the compass is maybe pointing in the right direction, but the pin is still a little <laughs> wobbly, you know? Yeah. Like, you're not exactly locked in on, on north yet. <laughs> yeah. And I, I agree. Like, as much as Moneo sometimes says the right things in this chapter, he um, almost immediately follows it up with something that feels icky. Yeah. It feels wrong. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. is certainly off the mark. And there's more examples of that throughout the conversation, too. For example, an exasperated Moneo tells Duncan to drop this nonsense, right? Fucking drop this, dude. Like, you're not going to win. I'm done talking about this. I have other shit to worry about right now. Quote, if the demands of your flesh are for maturity, but something holds you in adolescence, quite nasty behavior develops. Let go. End quote. Yeah. And of course, Duncan is like, immediately defensive and offended by this are you calling me an adolescent are you saying i'm not mature moneo fuck you bro <laughs> yeah and duncan again like sort of on the edge here claps back at moneo and says quote i'm glad to learn about you moneo end quote yeah and there's a couple of different ways we could read into that line and this exchange yeah i think we had slightly different <laughs> takes on this yeah um like i think i i think your take is is the more likely one broadly but i i will say there have been multiple times throughout this book that the way that moneo talks about things if you propose the possibility that moneo is himself either homosexual or bisexual or somewhere else on that spectrum and has simply acknowledged his responsibility as part of leto's breeding program and blah 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 a lot of this works and then definitely and then duncan saying i'm glad to learn about you moneo feels to me like the person going oh you're one of them you're one of the people who've who've you know been attracted to other men and have slept with other like you're just you know i'm glad to learn about you and he's ready to attack him like this moment that's how it read to me i know there's a few possibilities regarding maybe moneo is heterosexual and he's he is this kind of, i don't know but it's also possible he's not i don't think we ever really get a solid again frank doesn't say moneo the major domo who is heterosexual uh walked yeah. down the hallway <laughs> heterosexually you know <laughs> so his heterosexual gait <laughs> every step resounded with heteronormative <laughs> echoes <laughs> yeah we don't we don't get that sort of explicit Things that we have to sort of read between the lines, and I think there's a multiple the multiple ways you can kind of get to this, but it did seem like to me as though Duncan is saying, "I am ready to poise and to be violent against you because you, through your acknowledging of this stuff being natural or whatever, are yeah. admitting to being guilty of the thing that that outrages me, which is this homosexual behavior and like signing off on it, basically." Yeah, and. I think you're absolutely correct, Leo. That is a valid way to interpret this line and to even interpret Moneo's character. I think he could be cast even in like a future adaptation as a bisexual character or a homosexual character, and it wouldn't change the Moneo we know no. in this book at all. Yeah, and yeah, in yeah. fact, many other pieces would maybe even fall into place. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I do want to present another way to interpret this line, because when I read it, I didn't see it as an indication uh, or even a hint of Moneo's sexuality. I read this more as Duncan basically saying, oh, 
okay, Moneo, so you're one of those woke socialist snowflake types, huh? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, uh, I mean, I think there's multiple ways to read this line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And either way, it's confrontational, and whether or not it reveals anything about Moneo's sexuality, it certainly reveals how childish Duncan is being in this conversation. Yeah, 100%. I... And it's it's also like, regardless of the subtext, you're right, like the confrontation is growing and kind of like escalating. Moneo, even at points, chooses to very clearly, almost vindictively, dig into Duncan's sore spots intentionally, right? Like yeah. he brings up what, like, you're way more immature than all the other Golos. And Duncan's oh, like, what him. the fuck do you mean got by that? I know. And it's so, it's so part of that kind of confrontational energy. And he explains what they have taught him. Like, you know, Duncan says, oh, I've learned a lot about you in this moment, Moneo. And he goes, yeah, well, I've learned about you many times. And he goes, well, what have you learned about me, asshole? <laughs> and Moneo says, quote, all of us try to evolve. But if something blocks us, we can transfer our potential into pain, seeking it or giving it. Adolescents are particularly vulnerable, end quote. And this is, I mean, again, this idea of like seeking or giving pain, we kind of touched on that a few conversations ago when he was talking about like masochistic tendencies and desires to give or seek pain. And this seems yeah. like a re reprisal of that idea. Uh, and, and again, I prefer this take of it because it decouples talks of sexuality and just talks about adolescence and growing up. And when we talked initially about this whole conversation, there was that possibility that the focus was not the homosexuality, it was the adolescentness, and then how that interfaces with sexuality. And it does seem as though the focus here is entirely on adolescence and immaturity. This idea of you attempt to evolve and to grow and to mature, and if you are blocked by something, that becomes, I'm going to direct that, that energy that would be put into evolution, and I'm going to either cause or seek out pain. And in this moment, he's saying, oh, Duncan's maturity that is clearly blocked is something that he's then transferring into potential for seeking or giving pain, which yeah. fucking guilty is charged. Duncan has like a jewel encrusted knife to go talk to fucking God Emperor Leto after <laughs> fucking his betrothed. It's like, right. what a, what a dangerous series of steps right. that are so damaging to himself and to Leto. They're so short-sighted. And like pleasure seeking, it's awful. And then Moneo admonishes him. And with we, quote, you share sex with her and you never think about parting. <laughs> Tell me, fool, how do you give of yourself in the face of that? End quote. Savage. I love the comma, fool, comma. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> tell me, by the way, fucking idiot. Back to my point. How do you give of yourself in the face of that? Duncan is that young person he is that naive you know he sleeps with a woman and goes this is gonna last forever nothing is ever gonna happen you know this is everything is good he's in that honeymoon phase that mentality of like oh everything is rain rainbows and sunshine but also and to Manea's point that like duncan's concerns and the shit that duncan is wrapped up in is microscopic in comparison to eternity which is the golden path that is what is at stake here. Duncan mm -hmm, is endangering mm -hmm. the golden path. And that is then just 
the damage that Duncan's re like kind of um causing to this status quo, basically, or to to Leto's plans. Yeah. And when Duncan is like, hey, Moneo, quote, leave her out of this, end quote. Moneo's like, that's the whole of it. That's all of it. That's what I'm fucking right. talking about. Leave her out of it. She is the the point I'm making is her. I can't leave her out of it. He's so blind to how selfish and immature he's being. So yeah. in addition to homophobic and and old fashioned and and like confrontational and juvenile, Duncan's also being tremendously selfish and blind. And these are all the things that it seems as though Frank is saying here is the wrong way to do anything. And it's this Certainly. sort of like short-sighted pleasure-seeking, you know. Yeah, and to our point earlier, Duncan, of course, continuing to be painted in this incorrect light yeah. throughout the chapter, right? He, this person is wrong. Yeah, yeah. This person is juvenile and immature and wants you to not bring up the girl that he fucked. <laughs> Whoops, you know, like. Yeah, his boss is betrothed. <laughs> It, right yeah. he, you fucked his boss's wife and like don't bring that up that's a sore subject and don't mention <laughs> anything like, about the dude yeah wow sorry so, it's a sore subject for you that you had sex with that guy's right. wife <laughs> right so it, it continues to sort of reinforce like okay duncan's homophobia and his ideas are him perhaps not being mature enough or enlightened enough to understand that it's okay and to in Moneo's words, that it's quote unquote just a phase, as problematic as even that is. Right. And the conversation continues. And the thing about Duncan is our guy is stubborn. Yeah. 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 He refuses to drop this. At this point, Moneo has repeated himself over and over, but the Gola will not drop this. And Moneo's like, fine, let me try to make this make sense to you. Right. Quote I will tell you this only once. Homosexuals have been among the best warriors in our history, the berserkers of last resort. They were among our best priests and priestesses. Celibacy was no accident in religions. It is also no accident that adolescents make the best soldiers. End quote. Yeah. This, of course, feels like a lot of echoing of what perhaps Leto has said to Moneo in the past. Yeah. And Duncan, of course, in his very immature way calls this a perversion you know oh ew, this is perverted what are you talking yeah, about that's perversion and Moneo's was like yeah it is quote military commanders have known about the perverted displacement of sex into pain for thousands upon thousands of centuries violence requires that you inflict pain and suffer it how much more manageable a military force driven to this by its deepest urgings end quote yeah man a lot to pick apart there yeah so on one hand we talked about way ago we talked about the adolescents and young men being sent to protect the core of breeding males and then right. that being this sort of like one of the cores of like how armies have been done in the past so then the idea that homosexuals are among the best warriors, berserkers of last resort, best priests and priestesses. But then that celibacy was no accident in religions because celibacy by its nature kind of denies that maturing into a sexual breeding person, regardless of yeah. sexuality. Yeah. And then adolescents making the best soldiers. It's, oh God, it's so dense. And actually, I'll talk about this toward the end as we sort of wrap up this takeaway. But mm -hmm. a lot of this, I think, will make more sense 
after reading an obscure book <laughs> that this feels plucked <laughs> from the chapters of this book. And I'll talk about that later. But I wanted to point out Duncan's like, that's perverse. And Monet was like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I thought it was a little weird for Moneo to just like wholesale agree with something that Duncan said suddenly, just considering the tone that the whole chapter had kind of taken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I got the impression that Duncan is saying homosexuals being among the best warriors is perverse. That's perverse. And Moneo is like the fact that adolescents are among the best soldiers, you know, sent to war. Yeah. And he follows up like, I agree military commanders have known about this and do this fucked up thing they inflict pain they manage a military force driven by these these core like desires yeah. because it's so strategic and makes so much sense yeah that's fucked up that is perverse which feels like they're operating on two different wavelengths at that moment at least for me like that's kind of how it read mm. of duncan saying that's perverse that you're acknowledging homosexuals have like a place in society which feels on on track for Duncan and then Moneo going, yeah, it's fucked up for people to be used that way. Yeah. Which slowly pivots us toward like, what is Leto doing? Because Leto isn't forcing celibacy. Clearly, he's not utilizing the thing that these other military commanders do. So it felt as though maybe they were on different wavelengths. I know this was something that maybe we weren't, we didn't necessarily agree on mm. that interpretation. Yeah. I can see how you would maybe come to that conclusion. I don't agree. Yeah. I think this is all part of the same thought because Moneo starts by saying exactly what you explained. Homosexuals are the best warriors. It's no accident that adolescents make the best warriors. And at this point throughout the book, we have made the adolescent equals homosexual equals violence, right? That's the equation that Leto and Moneo keep hammering home throughout the book in these conversations with Duncan. And then he immediately follows it up by saying, yeah, it is perverse, but commanders have known about this perverse displacement of sex into pain. Those are Moneo's exact words. Yeah. And so to me, this is just Moneo agreeing that homosexuality is a perversion, but it's found in everything. It's found in the military institutions, and it's found in religious institutions, among priests, among priestesses. But he's less bothered by it, right? He's like, this is normal. It's just a phase. There's no reason to be freaked out about this, Duncan. People will mature and grow out of it. Yeah. You know, and then he sort of doubles down and says, it is an unavoidable perversion, so don't be so freaked out. But it can be useful. Look at what the commanders have done for generations and for thousands and thousands of years. They've used this violence and this adolescent perversion to great effect in their soldiers to make the best soldiers. Yeah. So, so to me, it's all interconnected. Like at this point, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. Moneo and Leto have pled their case and made it clear that they think adolescent behaviors can lead to homosexual tendencies, which can result in violence, either violence given or violence received. And we've talked in past book clubs at length about why that, line of thinking is problematic. But but to me, this all reads as part of the same thought for Moneo. I don't think he's distinguishing adolescent is a different thing from homosexuality, because Duncan's still trying to make the point that it's the homosexuality that he's uncomfortable with. Yeah. It's difficult because it's like we see then a difference in what Leto maybe believes, you know, the, the idea of displacing sexual urges in order to create loyal governments and like loyal armies 
as as a strategy that militaries have used for thousands of years, mm -hmm. and this is a thing that is known about the past, then Leto is doing something very different because Leto is not doing that. He's letting his people, he's not stamping out, he's not repressing their sexual urges and their tendencies, which are natural. And the grand scheme of things, I think we've just come to slightly different conclusions regarding, I don't know that Leto thinks that it's, it is as simple as like all ad like adolescent equals homosexual equals violence. It's like for any adolescent to restrict them from developing and maturing into transitioning into adulthood and maturity, mm -hmm. restricting that causes self-damaging and other damaging pain. And the military complex forces men to stay in a juvenile, young, right. boys right. club, boys will be boys thing that causes them to remain in that sort of like sexually driven, will even hurt the people they're supposed to be protecting versus women who have the more kind of gentle way of maturing into adults and being part of, you know, all of it kind of being wrapped up. I agree it's all part of one conversation, but I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of ways to interpret this and it's all so fucking dense. Yeah. Um totally. So yeah, let's let's talk more kind of fully about uh, what we take away from this. And I yeah. definitely yeah, I yeah, have yeah. some I have some thoughts to share, but to start off, what did you think about this chapter? I I know that we've kind of talked about this a little bit already. Yeah, of course. Um so before I say anything, I do want to say as always, the huge caveat that exists in these conversations that you and I have yeah. is that we are just two people. Right. And we can only share two perspectives on these very complex ideas, and we can only speak to our own life experiences. Yeah, we can't speak for all Dune fans, and we can't speak to Frank's real intentions in writing this. Right, and we certainly aren't trying to. So, just to be very, very clear about that, for sure, that caveat exists all throughout these discussions, and all we can do is share our own thoughts and interpretations. But we very much welcome other people's as well. Yeah, so please write to us and let us know. Totally. Agreed. So sort of zooming out, my sort of takeaway from this conversation and this chapter in particular, given everything we've read so far in the book, my thoughts are not particularly complicated. I've voiced a lot of my issues with the homophobic ideas that are present in God Emperor of Dune in previous conversations and previous episodes. And a lot of those issues I have still apply here to today's reading and to today's chapter. As we've mentioned a couple of times already, this idea that homosexuality is just a quote-unquote phase that people will go through but eventually mature out of is at best outdated, but at worst like straight-up harmful and homophobic. Yeah. And again, as I've said in previous episodes, that is not to say that Frank is some raging homophobe that hated all gay people. And in fact, as you stated earlier, on the contrary, it almost feels like Frank is trying to actually wrestle with these ideas right? and is trying to almost figure out some larger pseudo-intellectual idea about homosexuality and religion and politics and how it all fits into the big Society complex puzzle and, called yeah, humanity, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. And the problem to me with that is starts to read like cringy enlightenment, like this enlightened thinking where Frank and perhaps even his contemporaries that he's drawing from are saying, look at us. We don't hate gay people like those bigots over there. We 
are actually out here trying to figure out the gays, right? <laughs> like, look at us. We're figuring them out. We're learning about them. We're open-minded. We are not bigoted like those people, <laughs> like the like the Duncans. We are studying the fascinating species that is the gays. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what it starts to read to me. Like, <laughs> instead of, you know, pointing at Duncan and being like, look at this just like antiquated human. Yeah. This bigot. Like, he just hates gay people for no reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we... The intellectuals, we, the Moneos of the world, are figuring it out in a larger, more intellectual context. But that in and of itself is problematic because instead of simply accepting that sexuality is a spectrum and that people of all sexualities exist and accepting them for who they are and welcoming them as a normal thing, it feels like Frank and his contemporaries are trying to quote unquote solve the equation of why homosexuality exists in humanity. Right. What is the larger philosophical, political, religious reason, spiritual, whatever reason for homosexuality to exist in the human species? And again, we've talked about Frank's gay son before and that being a potential catalyst for a lot of these things but to me it also starts to feel like frank in this book and in his writings and in his explorations of these ideas is wrestling with his own feelings about his own son bruce coming out as gay and as we know him like having a tough time accepting that within right. his own family within his own son sure yeah this conversation almost feels like him trying to intellectualize and solve the puzzle of homosexuality where in fact there is no puzzle really right and unfortunately i think based on this chapter and the readings we've done in the book so far and the ideas that moneo and leto are putting forth which again feel very much to me like frank on his soapbox frank is perhaps ending up at a conclusion where homosexuality is incorrectly and problematically correlated with immaturity adolescence violence pain and it reminds me a lot of scientific racism, which is this idea that many white slave owners in America would lean into like pseudoscience and philosophy and intellectualism and these larger than like life measurements ideas. measurements of skulls and shit like that. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. In order to basically justify the horrific acts against black people that have been done in this country right. since its founding, right? Yeah. There are plenty of fake studies that will quote unquote explain why slavery was okay or totally. like why white people are superior right <laughs> interesting that it, all conducted by white people uh, huh. oh, mm, curious interesting <laughs> all funded by andrew jackson andrew cha andrew <laughs> really <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> and so sort of leaning into that idea everything moneo is saying in this chapter to me reeks of scientific homophobia mm. it's a lot of like mumbo jumbo and like and quote unquote enlightened thinking it's like parading it itself as enlightened thinking but it ultimately still serves to other gay people mm. right it, to other anyone who's not heterosexual and a breeding male breeding female yeah they are outside the norm so we have to solve this equation of why they could exist right oh it's just a phase oh like they make great soldiers and this and that but like violence and they'll mature out of it you know it's like yeah, yeah. over analyzing overthinking just the fact that some people are just born that way sure. and so like that's my very long-winded way of basically saying that hate wrapped up in phony intellectualism is still ultimately hate 
Sure. And and you can try and jump through as many hoops as you want and conduct as many fake studies as you want and talk about as much philosophy and the larger facts of humanity and human history as much as you want. But ultimately, if you are still othering this group, then you are effectively doing the same thing as someone yeah. like Duncan just pointing and saying, you know. Yeah, you're still contributing to the problem. You're still contributing to the problem. So that, that's sort of my takeaway is that I walk away from this chapter feeling icky regardless of what Moneo said. Sure. Right. Even though he may have slipped in a couple of things I do agree with, a couple of lines here and there where I'm like, oh, shit, that's welcome of him to say. Yeah, yeah, Ultimately, yeah. it's still him twisting himself into a knot to try and quote unquote figure out gay people when there's really nothing to figure out. And all it does is continue to push them to the margins, continue to other them, continue to make them something that's quote unquote not normal. Yeah. And that in and of itself is outdated, problematic, homophobic, as we've said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So those are sort of my rambly thoughts on it. Uh, th this is one chapter that I, frankly, outside of Duncan getting absolutely floored by Moneo at the end, this is a chapter that I could do without. Not yeah. a fan. Sure. What about you, though? I know I know you did a ton of research and have quite a few things to share, and I'm, I'm excited to hear this. Yeah, I mean, I think just to start, we and I've I've come to this conclusion before, but I think at the end of the day, Frank decided to have his characters talk about homosexuality and adolescence in terms that could be weaponized against people who are in the LGBTQ community and have very clearly hurt people in the LGBTQ community who read this book and go, wow, he hates me, <laughs> you know, or like, wow, I'm not welcome here or like I am being studied as another. Yeah. And although I've tried my best to kind of like okay, regardless of the narrative that Brian's told about his father, let me just look at the words and kind of dig into it. And I've come away thinking it's so much more about adolescence than not. The problem is it's ambiguous enough that it still is problematic, to your point. It is still othering gay people yeah. because Moneo's not going, Duncan, fucking leave it alone. It's not a problem to be homosexual. And the fact that you think it's a problem is bad. <laughs> He's not being clear about it. If Frank wants to engage with these topics, I think it's important that he make his stance more clear. And the fact that we even have these conversations and come to different conclusions is a condemnation of Frank's writing. The fact mm -hmm. that Frank decided to engage with these ideas and then leave it ambiguous enough for people to come to different conclusions, you fucked up, Frank. Leave it out of the book <laughs> or keep it in the book and make a stronger, clear stance so that we can either clearly hate you or clearly cheer your, you know, your woke <laughs> ideas, like either way, but having this like wishy-washy wrapped up in intellectualism, intellectualism that makes it a little bit ambiguous. It's like, fuck dude, you fucked up. And I, and mm -hmm. when we talked mm -hmm. to Elaine in an episode that is going to come out <laughs> later, uh, or earlier, depending on if you're a public person or a, a Patreon person, we talked to Elaine about what we would change if we could change Dune. And like, this is the shit that I would change. Cause it's like yeah. either make it more clearly in support of gay people being a natural thing and being worthy of love and not, you know, throwing them into battle as like war fodder or leave it out of the book because it, it confuses and conflates all of this shit that doesn't even need to be here because this isn't the point. The point is not to solve sexuality. The point is a giant worm <laughs> testing Siona for her compatibility with the golden path, humanity's ultimate survival. So anyway, just wanted to say that initially mm -hmm. at the mm -hmm. top. 
Mm-hmm. So going through it point by point, I did want to point out, and this is a mistake that a lot of people make just in general. It's like if you ask people how what percentage of the states do you think is insert demographic yeah. here, people will overestimate or underestimate based on personal bias and pers- personal experience a lot. And I think if you had asked me how many people, what percentage I think of the United States currently identifies as LGBTQ+, I would have estimated a lot higher of a number than it is. Yeah. And I bring this up because Moneo said most of them will grow out of it. And I was like, fuck that. Fuck you, dude. (laughs) No. And then I Googled what percentage of people identify as LGBTQ. And as of the 2022 poll, it's 7%. Wow. Which is fucking shocking. Now, here's the important thing. Gen Z. Within Gen Z, it's over 20%. Whoa. What a leap. What a leap. And it is not because, like Alex Jones says, you know, chemicals in the water are turning our frogs gay. Right. It's that people feel safe identifying how they identify. Right. And I've had conversations with friends who are in their 40s and 50s and going, and they have kids now, and they're going, if I was one of my kids, I would be bisexual. This is literally a conversation I had with a colleague of mine. She was like, if I were growing up right now, I would be bisexual. Yeah. And I never engaged with those thoughts and feelings because I didn't know it was an option. And, right. and now it feels weird to like identify as bisexual because I'm married for 10 years and I have kids and I'm like really happy. And it's not like I'm going back on the dating scene and who does it serve and blah, blah, blah. So that mentality causes a lot of people to not identify, even with very valid feelings that they've had their whole lives. And I am so happy to see that that percentage is growing because it is obviously the case that there is a lot more people who are part of the LGBTQ community and don't feel safe identifying as part of it. And I hope that that number eventually will be far more indicative of the number of people who are happy with who they are. It's just, God, that 7% is really heartbreaking because it's not, this is how few people, it's this is how few people feel comfortable identifying as. It's just brutal. Right. Anyway. Um, now, second, this chapter for me in particular, because it's so confrontational between Moneo and Duncan, Duncan is the most of a caricature that we've seen him ever. Like he's just one note the entire time. Yeah. And then Moneo is also somewhat kind of like we've said, he's going, oh, people grow out of it. It's fine. It's just you let people experiment. They'll they'll come around. Does feel like Frank through the earlier ambiguity of their first breakfast together going, no, 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 I'm far more in Moneo's camp. And maybe these antiquated ideas, they are fucking awful. So there is that which is good. And I like that about this chapter is, again, we see the person who's voicing the most homophobic shit gets thrown on his face and humiliated. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) good, good, a little bit good. (laughs) Right. And then finally, and this is the part that I that I wanted to talk about, because also I I'm sorry to say it, buddy, we might have to do an episode on this on this book. Um. There was an interview uh, with Frank Herbert or an article that he wrote in 1973 titled Listening to the Left Hand. And I want to share an excerpt from this article because I think it's almost indistinguishable from a chapter in this book. Like it's almost indistinguishable from one of these conversations. Mm -hmm. So this is, to be clear, like 10 years before he wrote this book or finished this book, quote, The wild sexuality of combat troops has been remarked by observers throughout recorded history and has usually been passed off as a kind of boys-will-be-boys variation on the male mystique. 
Not until this century have we begun to question that item of consensus reality. Read The Sexual Cycle of Human Warfare by N.I.M. Walter. One of the themes of my own science fiction novel, Dune, is war as a collective orgasm. <laughs> End quote. Okay. <laughs> okay, Frank. <laughs> sure. Got it. Uh, you, get, you, are, you have a weird soapbox that you pull out all the time, don't you, bud? Yeah. And so, again, that idea of like boys will be boys, variation, sexuality of combat troops. Yeah, right. I'm like, is this a conversation between Moneo and Duncan or is this Frank writing an article a decade earlier? For real. And he specifically says, read The Sexual Cycle of Human Warfare, mm -hmm. which I looked up. It's a 1950 book, so 20 years before. Mm -hmm. And it's available on eBay if you want to buy a copy. Oh, great. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. You might have to take out a loan though, because it's oh. fifteen hundred dollars. Oh fuck! <laughs> I bought the Dune Encyclopedia. I have a hard copy, far cheaper. <laughs> wow! Apparently, this book was only printed in five hundred issues, and then a lot of them were just destroyed when they didn't sell. Hmm. I wonder wow. why. I wonder how many of the copies it was just Frank bought. But literally, if you look up this book, first of all, there is a uh, there's a scanned PDF version of it that's available online. The the synopsis and the chapter summaries of this book read like a roadmap of the weird shit that's in God Emperor of Dune. Mm -hmm. It feels very strongly, and I say this only having skimmed a couple of chapters. It feels like Frank read this book, didn't do a lot of other thinking about it, kept a lot of these ideas that were put forward by the book, and then just put it into God Emperor of Dune because it's what he was thinking about using a lot of the same ver verbiage and vocabulary. Yeah. If I read the book more fully, it may be that Frank is putting his own spin on some like raw ideas that were presented by that book. But nevertheless, it's clear this book is foundational to some of the weirdest shit in God Emperor of Dune. Mm -hmm. So I sort of think we at some point, once we finish God Emperor, it might be worth one of us reading the book, I volunteer as tribute, and then looking at what, how does this reflect on Frank's ideas? Because it's very possible that some of the like nutshell in a nutshell things that Moneo is saying are expanded a lot in this book. And Frank's literally calling it out as a source for something that he he's thinking about. Yeah. So I think it could shed some light. And I don't see anybody else online talking about this. I didn't search extensively for it but again if you're searching for 20 30 minutes and you're not seeing a single conversation about this maybe it's about time someone do it in a comprehensive way and maybe that's us so anyway maybe it'll give us an insight into what Moneo's is talking about maybe we can revisit all of this conversation with a little bit more context of what frank had read yeah. and what ideas frank is borrowing from nim walter uh, but nevertheless, I just wanted to put that out there because if anybody out there in listener land is interested, again, it's called The Sexual Cycle of Human Warfare. It's a book that was written in 1950. You can buy a copy for $1,500 or you can Google it. In case you have 1500 laying around. Yeah, if you have a stack under your mattress or something. $1,500 bills next to you at your computer <laughs> or wherever, you know, in your glove box in your car. Toss it at ebay.com and you can get a copy of this fucking weird book. And nevertheless, may be a balm or could be an additional aggravator <laughs> to the shitty ideas in this novel. Anyway, long fucking story short, I think the biggest thing I have to say is regardless of personal interpretation on this thing, because I'm very conflict adverse, Frank was unnecessarily ambiguous about his 
character's stances on this should have leaned more into being clear about it so that we could categorically say you're fucked up and we're and we don't want to read these books because it seems like you're weaponizing ideas against lgbtq people or leave it out of the fucking book and those are the two right choices and he didn't make either of those choices so hey frank you fucked up kid yeah hey frank comma fool comma leave it out of the book (laughs) anyway oh don't make us drop you don't make us drop you you're antiquated you're just an older model bitch you're from the 70s okay (laughs) people in 2023 are uh i was gonna say smarter but now no i'm not so sure (laughs) no but the baseline approval and acceptance is pretty solid I will say I'm like my my nephew and and their sibling are both in their like teens right now and I do have a lot of hope for there's a lot of really just broad acceptance in like Gen Z and Gen Alpha that is not categorical of course there are young hateful voices out in the social media sphere but like it feels as though society's trending in a direction of like acceptance and you know yeah. we have a long way to go yeah long, long way. yeah as always there's a lot of nuance there yeah um but anyway that's our takeaway and as abu said absolutely if you have additional thoughts uh if you agree disagree whatever email us you know we'll say it at the end of the episode but gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com is our email address right we uh we encourage all takes we are just the people we are with just our experiences and again it's always it's always interesting our discord is also a really great place to say hey just listen to the episode these are my thoughts we get those comments pretty frequently on discord and it's great we love to read them yeah gives us a lot of insight definitely all righty with that massive takeaway (laughs) and that huge thorny conversation yeah out of the way let's take a breather and take another quick break but don't go anywhere folks because we still have some spice morsels on our plate indeed that we need to chomp down on so we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody. Let's dig into some spice morsels. Oh my Let's gosh, we need a palate cleanser after that. Uh, For real, that that adventure. Yeah, our spice morsels today begin with a Latin morsel. What? Whoa! Hello. Natura natura non facit saltus. Nice. Natura non facit saltus. In Latin, sounds like Latin to me. Sounds like Latin to me. Guys, telling it Latin. She's churning some Latin. <laughs> well, in this episode's reading, Leto makes a comment that goes way over Siona's head. And if you didn't take Latin in high school, uh, yeah, probably yours as well. Definitely went over ours. Let's talk about it. When explaining his faith, Leto says he believes divine intervention is necessary for something to emerge from nothing, aka natura non facit saltus. Or as he translates moments later, nature makes no leaps. Now, obviously, busting out Latin didn't impress Siona. She's like, what the fuck were those sounds you just made? But we were curious, so we decided to look into it. Where did that come from? Yeah. Now, the Latin is faithfully translated, uh, although it's often written, nature does not make jumps. Yeah. And it's a phrase often associated with a few different historical figures, which is which was a lot of fun. So the first person it's associated with is Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, who was a 17th century mathematician, philosopher, 
scientist, diplomat, and he was called by some the last, quote, universal genius. Okay. End quote. Because of how much shit the dude did. Hmm. He was all over the place and monumental in all of those fields. Like he was, he was a very uh, influential person. And according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, there was another uh, a contemporary of him who was actually disagreed with a lot of it. Like he was kind of a, a counterpoint voice to this guy. Yeah. So in yeah. a lot of ways, you imagine this is going to be someone who's sort of antagonized toward him. Uh, Denis Diderot, who is a French fellow, said about Gottfried, quote, <laughs> when one compares the talents one has with those of uh, Leibniz, one is tempted to throw away one's books and go die quietly in the oh. dark of some forgotten corner. Oh my God. <laughs> End quote. Damn. <laughs> this is one of his critics. He's like, I don't like that guy's ideas. That being said, comparing my work to his, I want to die in a corner. He's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. So that's the pretty high praise from one of your the people who disagree with you. High praise from from what I presume is like his rival. You know, this yeah. is the the Gary Oak. To, I was just gonna this, say this guy's Gary Ash Oak. Ketchum. Fuck, we're nerds. Yeah, it's the Gary Oak to Ash Ketchum. He's like, when I compare my Pokemon to Ash, it makes me want to go burn my books and die quietly in the corner. Of... So fucking funny. I love it. Now, this idea, this uh, nature does not make leaps or jumps. Idea is also an essential element in, ever heard of it, The Origin of Species. Hello. By Charles Darwin. That's a guy. That's a guy. And then finally, in the world of botany, the concept was heavily endorsed by Antoine Laurent de Jussieu. Uh. <laughs> or Antoine <laughs> Laurent de Jussieu, uh, who is known, and this is fucking crazy to me, and also I think ties in nicely to Dune's themes. He was a man known for being the first to publish a natural classification of flowering plants, which is to say, and this is true, he paved the way for how modern botanists classify plants. This is like the crew that rolls with this saying is yeah. Gottfried, Charles Darwin, and Antoine Laurent de Gessou. So in summary, when Leto is spitting quotes you can almost guarantee he's tossing his wormy hat into in just a crew of absolutely monumental figures. And it was a lot of fun to kind of jump into this uh, bit of Latin. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. And it all connects back. Damn it, Frank. Damn Did it, his research. Frank. You went to the library, probably. Right. Perhaps too much research. Obscure <laughs> books from the 1950s that only had 500 copies. Yeah, it's expensive. Alrighty, morsel number two today is Studio Ghibli. Whoa, anime. Anime. Yep, we're pivoting. The rest of the episode is we're just going to be talking about our favorite Ghibli films. Yeah, what's your favorite? I love Howl's Moving Castle. Mm. I cried a lot at that movie, and I don't quite know why. Howl is so hot. <laughs> it's so hot. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly. All right, so Studio Ghibli, in the context of today's reading, though, yeah, this may feel a bit out of left field, but Leto, in the chapter with Siona notices, quote, a small sandstorm, a Ghibli moving across the southern horizon, end quote. Yeah. And of course, as anime fans and big Ghibli fans were like, oh, what? Yeah. Miyazaki? 
Yeah. And the reality is, is that Studio Ghibli was actually established in 1985, a year after Nausicaa came out, years after this book was written. Yeah. So obviously, we're like, damn, he's not referencing Studio Ghibli there. But no. <laughs> there is a very interesting little convergence of inspirations. So let's dig in a little further. Yeah. According to Ghibli's homepage from 2013, it's archived now, but you can find it. The name Ghibli is taken from an Italian word meaning a hot desert wind. Right. Interesting. And apparently they chose this because they wanted their newly founded studio to quote unquote blow a new wind through the animation industry. Mm. So that was perhaps the inspiration for choosing the word Ghibli right. for their studio. Right. Now the Italian word itself though is borrowed directly from You'll never guess. You'll never guess. <laughs> Arabic, y'all. Arabic. Woo! In the original Libyan Arabic, the word meant effectively the same thing as the Italian, quote, a hot dust carrying wind in North Africa, end quote. Right. And thus, knowing how much Arabic culture and Islamic traditions inspired Frank's writing, we can perhaps draw a line between this word, Ghibli, its Arabic roots, and why Frank would have chosen it, and perhaps even draw a further line to Studio Ghibli itself. Yeah. And to really bring all of this full circle, to close the loop on this, y'all, and put a cute little bow on this morsel. <laughs> yeah. Studio Ghibli, as we said, was founded after the success of their film Nausicaa, which drew inspiration from Dune. Whoa. A full circle moment, folks. Hey. Lovely. And to be clear, Dune was not the only inspiration. It actually drew inspiration from a long list of American science fiction stories. Yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of thematic similarities, and many folks have pointed this out, and it really ties up this morsel nicely. Yeah. We start with the word Ghibli, we start with an Arabic-Italian word, and it comes full circle into one of our favorite film studios out there. I love that because the history is exactly opposite my, my cognitive explanation of like, Oh, it's referencing Studio Ghibli. Oh, it's not, because this is before Studio Ghibli was founded. And oh, Studio Ghibli took the word from Arabic, which is where Frank got the word, and then used it in Dune before Studio Ghibli was was inspired by Dune to make the <laughs> movies. My brain explodes. <laughs> it's like, whoa, it's so cool. And I'd like to think that Miyazaki read Dune to God Emperor of Dune and went, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. That's not true. But <laughs> let's be nice. Let's be nice. Right. I'm certain he's aware of it. Yeah, I'm sure he's aware. Well, anyway, that's those are our takeaways. Those are our morsels. That's where are we? What day is where, it? What are, We've been recording for it's forty been 40 hours. Forty hours. <laughs> Fifty hours now. Oh shit! Overtime. I know it's overtime. So let's wrap up this episode, dear <laughs> listeners. Before we record another fifty-hour episode, you have some homework to do. You've got some reading, yeah. and yeah. the reading you got to do is chapters thirty-nine and forty. Hey, 40, 40 hours, 39 and 40, or if your edition is a little bit different than ours, it's until the chapter that ends on the sentence, quote, but that was in another life, another time, end quote. Pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, yeah. Back when we, <laughs> you know, used to spit in our hands before shaking hands every day, you know, just, that's right. it's another time, another life. That's right. But that was in another life, another time. So read until mm -hmm. the chapter that ends in that sentence, and that, uh, and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Yeah, that's what we'll be covering in the next book club. Now, before we let you go, as always, a couple of reminders here at the end of the show. 
the best way to support us is to become a patron yep. at patreon.com slash Bar. You get cool benefits like ad-free episodes, weekly bloopers, an invite to our Discord server where we have geeky, deep, and hilarious conversations about Dune and science fiction and whatever's on TV and what books we're reading and anything and everything. It's a great little community that's come together, and we invite you to join us. Patreon.com slash Bar. We would appreciate your support if you're in a financial place to do so. Indeed. Now, another great way to support the show is to get yourself some Dune-themed stuff. You're like, yo, I like Dune. I want every piece of my life to be decorated with Dune shit. Well, we've made some Dune shit. We made it look nice. We made it look cool. One person supposedly got a tattoo of one of our Dune designs. It was so cool. So if you want to permanently mark your body, life, and wardrobe with something we made that is related to Dune, go over to gomjabarshop.com. As of the moment of recording this episode, it is still down. But nevertheless, that is where you can find art, apparel, mugs, a tote bag, and more when it is back up. That's right. And one final reminder before we sign off, we love to hear from you. So email us at gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts on the reading. Send us your perspectives on these heady topics that we tackle in this incredible, weird, wacky, and sometimes problematic book. (laughs) And of course, send us your questions as well. We have a mailbag coming up very, very soon. So get ahead of it. Be that, you know, straight A student who sits in the front row. Get your questions in ahead of time so that we can include them in future episodes. Send all of that to gomjabarpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you, y'all. Indeed we do. Hey, Abu, climb on my back. <laughs> okay. Where are we going? Into the desert, into the deepest infinity desert. I'm just going to. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah. 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 Okay. Wait, no, it has to be somewhere that I feel at home. We're going to go to a beer garden. We're going <laughs> to the <laughs> deepest infinity portion of a beer garden. Oh, no. And you're going to go, how do I get out of here? And I go, you're going to drink your way out of this room the oh, way your ancient God. ancestors did. <laughs> oh, my God. 19 pints. You might die. Wow. You very well might die. But I'm going to be fine. Listen, let's be okay, real. Okay, Moneo did not train me, did not prepare <laughs> me for this. You don't, you're not wearing your beer drinking still suit? <laughs> Use your mouth flap. It'll help. It'll help preserve your liquids. <laughs> fine. If you help me, I'll give you something valuable in exchange. Cool. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> some dude merch. i'll pay for the uber home when we're both trash yo solid <laughs> deal it's a date sounds good it's a date find us at the beer garden find us at the beer garden capital t capital b <laughs> well friends there is no real ending it's just the place where you stop the recording But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gamjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the golden earth.